The Cell Phone Junkie Podcast, episode 352 for February 24th, 2013. The FCC issues an order on signal boosters, the UK wraps up its LTE Spectrum auction, and Mobile World Congress begins. My name is Mickey Papillon. And I'm Joey Kappas. Brought to you each week with the help of listeners like you, subscribers to The Cell Phone Junkie Unlocked, more information at thecellphonejunkie.com. The Cell Phone Junkie is also brought to you each week by the Cell Phone Junkie podcast application, available now for Android and the iOS for $1.99. Well, first this week, NVIDIA on Tuesday announcing the Tegra 4i, a new system on a chip that combines a processor and modem for mid-range smartphones. The Tegra 4i uses a 4 plus 1 configuration that has a 2.3 gigahertz quad-core ARM R4 Cortex-A9 plus a fifth low-power core to help manage battery life. NVIDIA says the 4i can handle gaming on full 1080p HD displays as well as always-on HDR photography. The 4i also includes 60 GPU cores and has an integrated i500 LTE 4G modem. The i500 has been optimized for the 4i and supports global LTE compatibility. These kind of chipsets are what's going to pave the way for, you know, the the, the next generation of smartphones where, you know, the, these totally integrated systems where they, they they have the cpu the the graphics the the lte the the radio chips is all in one package is they, they do this because it saves on battery life and it increases performance and keeps everything small which is you know huge for cell phones so it just kind of sounds strange but this is very very important for for the the actual growth of mobile phones and and the battery life and and how we've been progressing is just this this consolidation of all the separate chips if you take a look at the original iphone or even smartphones before that every single component you know the audio amplifier the the radio this radio this radio the wi-fi radio the bluetooth radio all these things were all separate components that all have to be connected and uh you know the circuit boards have to be printed so it just adds to the complexity big time where you know these kind of uh integrations make just a huge improvement as far as the overall experience well, people are getting some hands-on time with them here at uh, at MWC as well, and we've got a lot of stuff that's coming out of Barcelona. And um, you know, earlier announced or announced earlier this week, uh, the chips themselves are being uh, pushed and uh, tested in some dev devices out there, and and they're really talking about the 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 functionality and the performance of them just being fantastic. And so uh, I think they're, they've done a good job with this here and um, it is smaller a little bit than the, the Tegra four. Um, and of course we are talking about a chip that has quite a bit on it as well. So um, it's good to see that NVIDIA is, is getting some, you know, getting some action here because we, of course we see a lot of stuff from Qual- Qualcomm and also Broadcom as well. So uh, lots of, uh, lots of good stuff from NVIDIA as well, you know, as far as, you know, on the mobile gaming side and of course for them, you know, to put together these, chipsets that are going to be used not only in in tablets and but also in phones as well i think is is good news for everybody well it, it you know it, it opens up the potential for some uh, you know games of course are very very popular right now in ios device devices and, and a little bit on android not so much but if this takes hold we could really see a kind of the next generation of games where they are much much better uh, than what we even have today, you know, more along the lines of PC games. So I, I, I think that uh, NVIDIA is going to give Qualcomm a little bit of run for their money here, a little competition in the market for having these, you know, completely integrated chipsets that they're going to start providing. So we could start to see a little differentiation in some of the the Android tablets and some of the smartphones we see if, 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 along the line of gaming performance. 
Well, you know, I I, th- I think you're right, and I, I do want to talk a little bit about Qualcomm because they had some other stuff that came out this week as well, and, and you know, and, and for them, this is was more of a you know a mid range play, and and what they had were, were two new processors, and they also talked about some new features as well. First off, uh, the Snapdragon 400 and the Snapdragon 200, the 400 geared towards the entry level and mid range smartphones, and the 200 focusing specifically on that entry level. Uh, the 400 has two different configurations; it's got a dual core crate CPU at up to 1.7 gigahertz per core. The second is a quad-core ARM Cortex-A7, and that runs at up to 1.4 gigahertz per core. Other features of the 400 include the Adreno 305 GPU, high-speed LPDDR2 and LPDDR3 RAM, support for um, some very, obviously, the most modern radio technologies like uh, LTE, and also, of course, dual SIM cards in the markets that support those. Also, support for up to 13.5 megapixel cameras, 1080p HD video playback, uh, the 200 specifically running a quad-core uh, Cortex-A5 processor up to 1.4 gigahertz. They've got the Adreno 203 GPU, uh, LPDDR2 RAM, HD playback, uh, CDMA and UMTS radio configurations. So you can tell with you know specs like that, we're talking about a little bit lower-end stuff here. Uh, they expect both to be available later this year. Uh, on the feature side, I mentioned they've got some new stuff here. The two new features they specifically announced, first, a Quick Charge 2.0, an improved version of, version of its rapid charging technology that will allow devices to power up 75% faster than devices without Quick Charge. The technology uh, is built into the Snapdragon 800 processor and is available to handset makers as an integrated circuit or as a separate USB module. Now, according to Qualcomm, it's also working with manufacturers of charging devices to add Quick Charge to their wall chargers, and those will be able to be delivered at the equivalent of 60 watts of charge, while only drawing 10 watts from the outlet. Now, Qualcomm doesn't expect Quick Charge 2.0 to reach smartphones, though, until early 2014. They also shared information about voice activation for Android devices, and they are calling it voice activation, an uh, integrated always-on low-power listening feature, and that will allow smartphone owners to say things like, um, hello, to wake up their devices from sleep and jump into a specific application or service. Now, voice uh, voice activation it was designed into Qualcomm Snapdragon 800 processors, and that will be delivered by the middle of 2013. Now, on uh, some some radio stuff here, Qualcomm announcing the RF360 front-end solution. This is a group of components that they've put together, and that will solve what they say is uh, the global LTE roaming problem. Now, this is a, a very interesting thing because, of course, we know with uh, devices like the iPhone 5, you've got multiple different devices, you know, two, three different ones specifically, depending on what types of LTE that you're using. So this RF360 is made up of several components. First is a power envelope tracker. Then you've got a dynamic antenna tuner, a power amplifier, and then, of course, the RF transceiver. Now, the most significant pa- part of that package is that transceiver chip, which uses Qualcomm's Gobi software, and that can handle 2G, 3G, and 4G cellular modes with multiple frequencies on the latter, the LTE side, and that will be all integrated into a single radio. In the U.S. alone, there are at least four different U.S. frequency bands being used by carriers for LTE. In Europe, there will be over a dozen. If phone makers choose the RF360, uh, they will be able to make one version of their device and will be compatible with almost every single network. And beyond this transceiver, uh, it's also among the first to include that power envelope tracker, which will give significant gains in the battery life. We talked about that just a minute ago. And also the tracker will let the motor 
modem and radio amplifier communicate faster, allowing them to adjust the input voltage dynamically based on the strength of the signal it needs to transmit. And finally, this will allow the amplifier to fine-tune its power needs and thereby reducing power. They expect this chip, the RF360, to be available in the second half of the year. Very interesting stuff here. This is the kind of stuff, of course, we we you know we talk about with, with LTE. We know we're in the infancy of this stuff. And, and yes, we've got carriers that are building out their networks and, you know, almost done in Verizon's case, but that doesn't mean that we've got the hardware that's ready to support it. They're just, they're building that infrastructure, making it ready to go. Um, and it's going to be, it's going to be a while before everything, you know, completely catches up with this here. Uh, we talked on the Unlock show a couple of weeks ago about LTE Advanced. We're going to follow that up here in the next couple of weeks with some more conversation about it. But um, just to note, you know, of course, we we talk about we talk about it like it's it's right around the corner. And while it is, we still have to realize that the hardware and the, the devices that are coming out today are still catching up with even the implementations of the networks that are coming down the pike. So we have we have a lot of stuff that's still going to be going on with this here. The chipsets that are coming out, of course, with the earlier NVIDIA stuff. And then, of course, with this Qualcomm stuff, there's a lot of stuff that uh, in, in some newer devices that will be behind the scenes for most people. Most people won't even realize it. Uh, it's just kind of happening here but it's very interesting how we are starting to now see this you know almost um, you know normalization of the chipsets and and finding ourselves with something that's going to work across multiple different bands multiple different uh, carriers countries whatever whatever you want to call it so that's uh, that's what's happening from Qualcomm now next the Wall Street Journal confirming a report that Google looking to open its own brick and mortar retail stores later this year Google would use the stores to tell consumers about the benefits of Google TV and also show off its upcoming Google Glass handset as well as testing out the latest Chromebook computers and of course displays of its nexus line of smartphones and tablets the journal sources cannot confirm a timeline but expect the first stores in major metro areas probably before the holiday season the FCC on Wednesday issued a report and order concerning the use of wireless signal boosters in the U.S. The FCC has adopted a technical standard called the Network Protection Standard, which manufacturers of signal boosters must adhere to in order to protect wireless networks in which they're amplifying. AT&T, Sprint, T-Mobile, and Verizon have all consented to allow signal boosters on their networks as long as they meet the new technical standard. Now, moving forward, the FCC will allow two different classes of boosters, consumer and industrial. The consumer devices will be available to those that purchase those in the general public in order though to use those consumers need to purchase licensed equipment and then also register that booster with their carrier the booster will work on most cellular bands including aws pcs 700 megahertz and more the industrial boosters on the other hand will be used in spaces such as sports arenas and must be installed and operated in coordination with the licensees signal booster manufacturer wilson communications has issued the following statement they said that they applaud the adoption of the fcc certification specs for consumers and they will eliminate the poorly designed products that currently plague the market and have been the source of cell site interference organizations such as AT&T and the telecommunications industry association have also voiced support in the FCC's decision. NPR this week reported that a petition posted on the White House website asking the Obama administration to champion a bill that makes cell phone unlocking permanently legal has garnered more than 100,000 signatures, meaning the White House must now issue a formal response. The petition, started on January 25th by OpenSignal co-founder Sina Kanafiar, uh, asked that the White House ask the Librarian of Congress to rescind the decision that, failing that, champion a bill that makes the unlocking permanently legal. I wouldn't hold your breath uh, for this to make any changes here just because you've signed a petition. 
Yeah, I, I'm, it probably won't, but they now have to respond to it. And the interesting thing is, is that um, th- this was something that they came up with. The, the administration said if someone gets a petition that has up to 100,000 signatures, then they'll they'll issue a response to it. Um, of course, we, we've heard here since, you know, last fall um, that they, they were putting in um, the the. the the fact that you could not unlock your phone without the carrier's consent. Um, if you do, uh, you could have issues. And, and we talked about this in the past. There's really not going to be anyone that's out there checking your phones, asking if they're unlocked or not. The, the issue comes to who is doing the actual unlocking. And, and if you're, you know, the services that are providing this, if they're not doing it in a way that conforms with these, that's where there's a problem. But clearly enough people have been, you know, upset about this, that it's made its way into petitions. And, and you know, within a week or so, it's already got 100,000. So we should issue hear a response from this. But I agree with Joey. I don't think it's going to be anything of very much interest to us. AT&T signed a deal this week with UK Wi-Fi hotspot provider The Cloud. This partnership will allow AT&T customers to use up to one gigabyte of data in the UK for free when connected to one of the 16,000 locations using the operator's Wi-Fi international application. The use of the hotspot service requires a subscription to one of AT&T's international data add-on packages. So make sure you pick up one of those if you're going to be traveling to the UK and you've got AT&T. Verizon Wireless will provide LTE connectivity for a version of Google's new high-end Chromebook Pixel laptop. Running Chrome, uh, Google Chrome's operating system, the LTE-enabled Chromebook Pixel will go on sale in the U.S. in April for $1,449. That's a huge departure, of course, from the initial Chromebook, which was introduced last fall for $250 and marketed as a cheap, disposable computing platform. The Chromebook Pixel will be the first Chromebook designed and built by Google and will also come in a Wi-Fi-only version, and that will be available next week for $1,300. The Verge reported this week that Sprint has started flipping its switches on LTE networks in parts of New York, Washington, D.C., and San Francisco, three major markets that have not yet seen the carrier service. While Sprint has not made any official announcements about LTE in these three markets, a spokesperson told them that the deployment is in the just in the early phases, and rather than deploying a site, testing the equipment, and then turning it off, they're leaving on the sites, and customers are welcome to use it wherever they find it. T-Mobile on Tuesday officially launching its GoSmart mobile prepaid service nationwide. A trial of the service began in nine markets in December. GoSmart Mobile offers SIM cards for $8, and they can be activated in any unlocked GSM device. Three plans are available, costing $30, $35, and $45 a month for unlimited minutes and texts, with the latter two offering either 2G data or 5 gigabytes of 3G data, respectively. Along with the nationwide launch, T-Mobile is also confirming that it will use a technique to manage network congestion. Per the GoSmart website, certain T-Mobile plans may be prioritized over GoSmart mobile plans during periods of congestion. A T-Mobile spokesperson explained to PhoneScoop that as network congestion becomes um, an issue at a given cell, T-Mobile will allow its postpaid T-Mobile USA customers to access the fastest available data speeds on that particular cell. The maximum possible data speeds of GoSmart mobile customers on the same congested cell will be slower in comparison. T-Mobile said that all customers, whether they're postpaid or prepaid, will have the same access to the network for voice calls and data services at all times, though. The policy only applies to the data speeds. So that's an interesting thing, right? I mean, we talk about this with the MVNOs, and and the question always comes up, is it something, if you decide to go with one of these carriers, are you going to potentially be left out in in a situation where uh, you get, you know, high capacity on the cells? And T-Mobile has come flat out and said, yes, absolutely. And, you know, for for the simple fact that, 
you are paying much less for these prepaid services on a per minute or per gigabyte you know you know basis it absolutely makes sense that they're doing this something to keep in mind a lot of times not going to be a big issue uh, but uh, you know just something to know that if you're deciding to go with one of these you're paying less so you may be potentially getting less in the result the UK's 4G Spectrum auction completed on Wednesday, resulting in the sale of 800 megahertz and 2600 megahertz spectrum spectrum for a total of 2.3 billion pounds. The winners included EE3, O2, and Vodafone. It's broken down as such: Everything Everywhere paying 588 million pounds for two 5 megahertz, 800 megahertz. Uh, five two channels uh, in the 800 megahertz band of five megahertz each and two 35 megahertz blocks in the 2600 megahertz band combined with its existing 800 megahertz coverage it makes the only major carrier with the ability to use all three main 4g bands it also means that it has the most 4g spectrum of any carrier in the uk in addition they walk away with the largest slice of the 2600 megahertz airways giving them higher speeds in smaller areas three purchased five two five megahertz blocks in the 800 megahertz band and that was 225 million pounds. The UK's smallest operator has already purchased uh, two blocks of 15 megahertz in the 1800 megahertz uh, band, and that, that came over from uh, everything everywhere. O2 picked up two 10 megahertz blocks in 800, and that was 550 million pounds. Uh, that obligation gives uh, O2 the, a pri- to the ability to provide indoor reception to 98% of the overall UK population, as well as uh, 95% of portions of England, Wales, Scotland, and Northern Ireland by the end of 2017. And finally, Vodafone walking away with 10 megahertz, two blocks of 10 megahertz spectrum in the 800 megahertz band, as well as two 20 megahertz and one 25 megahertz block in the 2600 uh, band. That all went for 790 million pounds, a substantial amount of spectrum in each of the bands for them. According to Ofcom, the launch of the commercial 4G services in the spectrum that was uh, bought will, will be done by late spring or early summer. Well, these days, if you're a globetrotter, the best way to keep your cell phone bill in check is to switch out SIM cards when you're local for each country that you visit. But the problem is, how can you get a SIM card out of your phone, keep it safe, and when uh, they're not being used, always have them with you? Well, this dilemma uh, that uh, was came up, uh, the solution came up by two different travelers with a Kickstarter project called Simple Case. This is an iPhone case that's designed for international jet setters, while the inside of the case uh, has a, it was what sets it apart, it's got plastic in it that holds not only a jet tool for your iPhone 5, but also uh, slots to put your extra nano SIM cards in there. Simplecase is offering a sleek profile, which is great for travelers here. Uh, if you're interested in the project, uh, Simplecase, it's S-I-M-P-L. You can pick one up for $12 through the company's Kickstarter project, uh, right now available only for the iPhone 5. Uh, I want to thank Abraham for pointing out this project to us because I found it pretty intriguing uh, for those that are traveling, and you may want to check this out if you always are trying to travel around with multiple SIM cards and you want to protect your phone while you're doing so. Well, on to device news. First up, Strategy Analytics released a report midweek that the iPhone was the top-selling device worldwide in the fourth quarter. But not only did the iPhone 5 top the market, top the, market the iPhone 4S also saw more shipments than the Galaxy S3. Shipments of the previous generation iPhone actually saw an uptick in the fourth quarter after Apple cut pricing. According to the report, Apple's iPhone 5 and 4S together accounted for one in five of all smartphones shipped worldwide in the fourth quarter. That impressive performance, uh, given the iPhone's port, uh, port, portfolio's premium pricing, uh, giving that, uh, given that the Samsung Galaxy S3 was the third best-selling smartphones and only 15.4 million units globally, that captured 7% of the market share in the fourth quarter of 2012. 
LG on Monday offering up additional details about the Optimus G Pro. First announced by the company last week, it now uh, has been released that it will include dual recording and virtual reality panorama. Dual recording lets users record video with the rear and front cameras at the same time, creating a picture-in-picture video. The VR panorama mode is similar to the Photosphere uh, feature available on the Nexus 4, allowing users to create a 360-degree view of their surroundings. I want to mount that to my windshield in the car while I'm driving so it gets the back and the front. Kind of like all those crazy Russian uh, accident videos you see posted uh, frequently these days. Like the uh, of the meteor, there were so Mm -hmm. many different angles and shots of that thing uh, coming into the atmosphere because of all the dash cams. Well, okay, so that's an interesting an interesting point of how you'd use this. I'm trying to decide, uh, you know, how else you'd use I, I use Panorama occasionally. I mean, maybe once a week or so if I find something that's kind of neat. But generally, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm not thinking about that and, and really don't need a virtual reality Panorama to go on, on top of that. No, I've I've used pan, uh, Panorama once uh, since I've got the iPhone, and I used it, like, once on the uh, the Android device I had before the Nexus S. So, uh, no, the, the, the recording front and rear is interesting. I suppose if you want to record your reaction to stuff you're watching and have there a video go. at yeah. the same time but i don't know it's mm. interesting well the optimus g pro is a 5.5 inch full hd display uh, if you're looking for you know the latest in from lg it's got 1920 by 1280 uh, resolution it runs edge to edge and uses curved glass it's powered by a 1.7 gigahertz quad core qualcomm snapdragon 600 processor and has two gigs of ram those cameras that we spoke about include a 13 megapixel on the rear and 2.1 megapixel on the front it runs Android 4.1.2 Jellybean and comes with LG's user interface customizations. The G Pro is launching in Korea first, followed by Japan later this year. LG not announced if it will make it, though, to other markets. Then on Wednesday, LG announced two mid-range 4G LTE Android smartphones. First up, the Optimus F series, including the F7 and F5, both running Android 4.1.2 Jellybean. The F7 is the larger of the two phones with a 4.7-inch IPS display, 1.5 gigahertz dual-core processor, and 2 gigs of RAM as well as 8 gigs of built-in storage. Also has an 8-megapixel camera on the back and 1.3-megapixel on the front and a 2,540 milliamp-hour battery. The F5 has a 4.3-inch IPS display, 1.2 gigahertz dual-core processor with 1 gig of RAM and 8 gigs of built-in storage. Also a 5-megapixel main camera and 1.3-megapixel on the front as well as a 2,150 milliamp-hour battery. The F5 will launch in European markets during the second quarter followed by a broader launch of the F7 later in the year. Well, HTC on Tuesday unveiling its latest flagship smartphone, the HTC One. The newest smartphone running Android Jelly Bean with LTE features Android 4.1.2 Jelly Bean with HTC Sense 5. It's got a Qualcomm Snapdragon 600 quad-core 1.7 gigahertz processor. It has 32 or 64 gigabytes of storage uh, and 2 gigs of DDR2 RAM. The battery, 2300 milliamp hours. It also has a new ultra-pixel camera with the application that they're calling Zoe. Zoe gives people the ability to shoot high-res photos that come to life in three-second snippets. Also, they automatically create integrated highlight films from each event that can be set to music with professionally designed cuts, transitions, and effects. HTC is also emphasizing its new BlinkFeed interface as part of Sense5. HTC says BlinkFeed transforms the home screen into a single live stream of personal, relevant information such as social updates, entertainment, and lifestyle, news, and photos, as well as immersive images so that people no longer need to go to separate applications to find out what's happening. The device also includes an infrared transceiver that includes universal remote control software based on the technology that they purchased from Peel. 
HTC One will launch around the world starting in March and will be initially carried in the U.S. by AT&T, Sprint, and T-Mobile, as well as all major U.K. carriers. Verizon will not be carrying the HTC One at launch, rather, defaulting to the Droid DNA as its flagship HTC hardware. Pricing and device details uh, further than this have not been available. So I kind of like the design of this. It's something a little unique where it's got uh, basically no edge bezel at all. And it's uh, it, it's it, it's different. It's kind of a departure look with the, the grills on the top and bottom of some of the, the, the phones we've seen recently, especially you know, like Samsung and iPhone kind of look. But we'll, we'll just have to kind of see how it uh, does in the market. I think it's going to be big. I, I really do. I think people that are looking for, you know, HTC hardware, uh, for those that maybe were have been Sprint customers for a long time with the Evo line, um, obviously this is a, a big upgrade for them. Um, also on the, you know, on the AT&T side, they, uh, you know, the, 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 the Samsung um, just almost monopoly on, on Android for most of the carriers, I think, is starting to get old for some people as they're looking for something different. And, and this one really steps up a notch from uh, for HTC. And uh, this is going to, I think, be a good competitor. And I think they've done a good job here just focusing on this single device. Well, I hope it can get HTC out of the funk they've been in. I mean, they've been losing money like crazy lately. We we need these uh, competitors uh, out, out here for you know for the likes of Apple and Samsung. We we need this competition. So, um, I, you know, I hope this does sell well for them. Kind of a bummer for Verizon customers, but again, you still have the Droid DNA. Um, you know, it's not the the HTC One, but then again, uh, when has Verizon ever done anything that you know makes sense? I mean, it always seems like they pick what they think is going to be the best here. Uh, obviously, they're going after excuse me a single brand here with the Droid the Droid line, and um, so no no you know expected differences here with this. So anyway, that's that's the deal with that one, and a big event there on Tuesday where they held that uh, simultaneous launches in New York and London to release that device. According to reports confirmed by The Verge, Samsung Electronics will announce its next flagship smartphone, the Galaxy S4, on March 14th. According to sources, the S4 will run Android 4.2.2 and will sport a Samsung Exynos 5 Octa, that's 8-core processor. It will have a 5-inch Super AMOLED Full HD display, 2 gigs of RAM, a 13-megapixel rear, and 2-megapixel front cameras. According to The Verge, though, Samsung will be focusing on software and service enhancements in the S4 much more than specs. The leap in cool new features from the S3 will be the ne- to the next flagship will be bigger than the leap from the S2 to the S3, says The Verge. Sprint on Friday announcing the latest ruggedized smartphone, the Kyocera Torque. It will go on sale March 8th, priced at $100 on contract. The Torque, announced in late January, features a hardened outer, outer shell with 4G LTE connectivity, Android 4.0 ice cream sandwich. Other stats include a 4-inch WVGA display, 1.2 gigahertz dual-core processor, 1 gig of RAM, 25 500 milliamp hour battery will have only four gigs of storage expandable though via micro sd the phone the phone's durability though is what makes it stand out it will have eight 10g mil spec standards that will help it withstand water dust dirt and other extreme temperatures samsung uh this was this device here i think is is one of the big things that uh is going to be like a differentiator type of device when it comes to going to the store and picking out one here as you as you look at all the devices the htc's and samsung's and everything um you know something like this where you've got a little bit cheaper of a price point that has all of these different things including the you know the durability factor i think is really good well, I, I think the durability is going to fall more towards enterprise level where, you know, these are devices that are issued to uh, employees. And, and it would be something that I would think about for sure uh, if I was buying, you know, large amounts of these phones. Because, y- you know, if you've got these slippery Samsung things, you don't want to be replacing them every, you know, couple of months for employees because the, the, they are very, very expensive. 
I think the you know what, what what we see here with a device like this is something that is more than just looking to you know check all the boxes with the best specs that are out there. And this is you know I think a really good thing because you you know you're not going to need that much storage, and if you do, you can you know expand it with micro SD. Uh, it's not that exciting of a phone, but at the same time, it, it, you bring up a really good point. If you want to do a deployment of a of a device, a ruggedized style phone, um, you know it's got a four inch display, so it's you know it's it's good enough. It's got ice cream sandwich, which in many cases is good enough for most people, um, and it's going to, you know, it's going to take you into the future. It's not going to win any speed awards, but, you know, generally I think is going to be really good. Um, and, you know, and it's again, just kind of a middle of the road phone, but it really kind of it grabbed my attention because I thought it was a, a pretty good one here. Now, Samsung on Saturday announced the Galaxy Note 8. This is a midsize phone slash tablet. Uh, actually, we should call it tablet slash phone. The international version will be able to make phone calls, which can either be done through a headset or by holding it up to your head. Yes, it will have a speaker on it. The Galaxy Note 8 specs include a quad-core Exynos processor at 1.6 gigahertz, 5-megapixel rear, and 1.3-megapixel cameras, running t- Samsung's TouchWiz customizations on top of Android 4.1.2 Jellybean. I'm actually kind of glad they put a phone in because why not? Why, you know, why do they leave the phones out of some of these devices? I, I kind of wonder that. So I, I, I think that's neat to have the option, really. I, I know it's silly, but it, it, why not have the phone in there? I, I, I think you're right. I, you know, personally, I think I would just go for the, uh, you know, uh, simply the data side, but I don't know why I would want actual minutes on this. And, and, and the reason I say that is because you can add a tablet to your plan for $10, but you know, if this is considered a smartphone, cause it can use your minutes. Um, if you pick that up, it's going to be 40 bucks. So I, I wonder if there's going to be differentiation points there. Well, I think, you know, for, uh, you know, for a, an unlock style device, maybe if you, you know, not on a shared data plan, it would make more sense because you know how much we use the phone these days, Mickey, the, the minutes are down drastically. So it's like I end up carrying the iPad more than I carry the iPhone around. And if you need to make a quick call, hey, you can do it right there. So I don't know. It's a, it's a convenience thing. Would you hold this up to your head, though? I mean, come on. Eight, eight uh, inches? I don't know. If you had to call real quick, I mean, you could just say, I'll call you back or something. You know, you, you do your quick meeting. I don't know. Why? Why not? I, of course, it's silly, <laughs> but it would if I didn't have something else. Okay. I, I, I will buy that. But I, at the same time, I, I get kind of, I shake my head at these kind of things where eh, it's, it's going, it's, it's, not a, much, it's not much different than the Galaxy Note. My gosh, it's, it's only a little bigger than that, right? It's only a few more inches. What's the difference? It's bigger than the iPad, the iPad mini. I mean, I guess you could, could hold it in one hand. (laughs) You certainly could. I don't know. Silly. Silliness is what I say with that one. Anyway, Galaxy Note 8 (laughs) has been officially announced. Huawei on Sunday announcing the Ascend P2, an all-new Android smartphone launching around the world later this year. It runs Android 4.1.2 Jellybean with Huawei's Emotion user interface, featuring a 4.7-inch 720p HD display that has a 315 pixel per inch resolution and a contrast ratio of 1,000 to 1 with 500 nit brightness and 170 degree viewing angle. The P2 is a 1.5 gigahertz quad-core processor with 1 gig of RAM and only uh, 8.4 millimeters thick. Other features include a 13 megapixel camera with flash and HD video capture, 16 gigs of onboard storage. Huawei claims it's one of the fastest phones in the world. Support for Category 4 LTE, theoretical download speeds up to 150 megabits per second. Pricing and availability for the U.S., though, have not been announced. HP on Sunday announcing their entry into the Android world with its first Google OS tablet, the HP Slate 7. It has Android 4.1, a 7-inch 1024x600 display, 1.6 gigahertz dual-core A9 processor, 1 
gig of RAM, 8 gigs of storage, a micro SD card slot, 3 megapixel rear camera, VGA front camera, Beats Audio, and HP's ePrint application. Now, the most surprising fact, though, about this is that the Slate 7 is only $169, so a very, very cheap way to get yourself into a tablet that has some pretty decent specs on it. Yeah, they're decent. The screen, though, that, that 1024 by 600, that's getting pretty low these days. I mean, we've got much better resolution from the Kindle Fire, which, of course, that's still going to probably do better than this because of the, the marketing and the, the Amazon being behind it. So uh, it's definitely an interesting price. I, I'll give it that. Yeah, it's, uh, of course, no uh, no cellular connectivity or anything like that built into it, but nonetheless, uh, a very interesting tablet at a very interesting price. Alcatel on Sunday announcing the OneTouch Idol X, a high-end handset with decent specs. Those include a 5-inch 1080p edge-to-edge display, Android 4.2, a quad-core 1.2 gigahertz processor, 16 gigs of internal storage plus an, eight, uh, an SD slot, 8 or 13 megapixel cameras depending on where it's sold, and a 2,000 milliamp-hour battery. The Idol X will come in a variety of colors, much like the Nokia and HTC Windows uh, Phone 8 devices that have recently come out. No LTE, though, meaning this one will be set for international markets only, Alcatel says the OneTouch Idol X will be available in July. NVIDIA on Thursday announced that ZTE will deliver a super phone based on the Tegra 4 chip before the middle of the year. The first phone to run on the new platform, ZTE, though, didn't share any details of the device other than to say it will use NVIDIA's i500 LTE modem. And finally, in devices, Mozilla on Sunday announced the launch partners for the first Firefox OS phones. Those include Alcatel, LG, and ZTE, and they will make the first devices running with the Firefox OS. The launch partners on the carrier side include Telefonica in Brazil, Colombia, Spain, and Venezuela in mid-2013, Deutsche Telekom in Poland this summer, followed by additional countries, and Telnor for Siberia, Montenegro, and Hungary. No U.S. carriers have committed to the Firefox OS, but the Firefox Marketplace will support both downloadable and one-time use applications. CEO Gary Kovacs says the U.S. is on the list, albeit a further bit down, and expects a 2014 release time frame for the states. I wonder if this is going to fall into something like an NVNO kind of territory prepaid thing where they're going to use something like this that's really really different to differentiate themselves uh from the main carriers with a kind of a unique product offering uh, you know I, of course i'm skeptical it's it, whether it's going to gain traction here especially with the windows phone 8 the, the android the ios we've got you know the, those really powerful ones even blackberry is coming here so it's it, it, i'm, I'm kind of curious what what this is going to do in the market I just I look at a yet another operating system and I go, you know, really, do we do we really have to deal with yet something else? I I just don't know that this is this is really the right time or the right the right venue to do this. I mean, I I think Android has really got the, the market here on the you know, this customer that's looking to do this, um, you know, the browser's fine. I know they're going to do some, you know, some, some interesting things. They did announce who, uh, who are going to be some of the first app partners, but it's not, I don't know. I just, I look at this and I'm just like, boy, this is, it's becoming, you know, platform fatigue all over again. We just, I don't know that we need this in the market. Yeah. And, and, you know, I'd it'd be a different story if Android wasn't kind of an open source free thing for everybody to just use. And, you know, with the low end hardware that's possible on it, it just, doesn't make sense because there's that whole ecosystem that is ready to go uh, for basically anyone. I'm looking for, 
just a little bit of, of sanity here with, with some of these things, you know, I mean, are you going to have the developers that are going to make the apps? Are you going to be, uh, you know, selling enough of these to really make it worthwhile? Are you going to have enough people that are going to, uh, to be supporting it, uh, and, and providing feedback to it that you're, you're going to be creating a good operating system. I don't have answers to any of these questions right now. No, but it's definitely, of course, good to have the competition here. I mean, this is important to the market to keep trying new things, because if we don't try new things, nothing will ever change. I mean, I guess Apple did a big thing, you know, they decided to take a step back and, and released a, uh, something they called a smartphone that really didn't have much of uh, any capability. There's no applications that ran on the original iPhone. It had a really fluid, unique interface, and, and but that was a big thing, and you know, maybe this will be a big thing because of who knows what what feature it may have. But you know, this is good to have uh, these out here. But it 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 is a uh, they have an uphill battle, that's for sure. And of course, as you would expect, there's there's just a very few limited number of apps that are out there. You know, you've got the the big guys. You've got Facebook and Twitter, so that's positive. But you know, when you're looking for gaming stuff, you know, they've got things like Where's My Water, Cut the Rope, um, and some other games from EA. Um, there are some other apps out there like Box and SoundCloud, AccuWeather, um, but it's pretty small. And you're, don't be looking for like your, you know, your Honda or your GM unlocking application for how you can interface with your car. I mean, that that kind of, you know, application support is still going to be left to Android and iOS. So just keep that kind of stuff in mind. It may be fun to play around with, but, uh, you know, as a secondary phone or something like that, but certainly not as a primary device, at least not for me, not for me right now. On the software side, as expected, Apple releasing iOS 6.1.2 on Tuesday with a fix for the change bug in iOS 6.1. The update was available and is available as an OTA update. Facebook on Friday released an update to its iOS app, adding free VoIP calling between Facebook users in the U.S. and Canada. Facebook last month added free VoIP in its separate messenger application, though the main Facebook app for iOS now does the exact same thing. The update is free to download in the App Store. On the Android side, SwiftKey on Wednesday made a new version of its keyboard available, SwiftKey 4. The new version guesses at the word that will come next in the sentence, something akin to the BlackBerry 10 keyboard. SwiftKey says users can type entire sentences without lifting their finger from the keyboard. The application is on sale for $2 for a limited time, down from the normal 4. It's a free upgrade, though, for those who already purchased a previous version of SwiftKey. Google this week sent out updates for three of its Android applications, Earth, Drive, and Maps. The newest version of Drive for Android now lets users stream video files to Drive uh, from Drive to their phone or tablet over the network and also add support for pinch-to-zoom in the presentation viewer. Google Earth and Google Maps receive only bug fixes in their respective updates. And finally, international versions of the Samsung Galaxy Note began seeing Jellybean, uh, a Jellybean update this past Monday. Users in the Far East in Germany reported seeing an OTA to Android 4.1.2. No word on whether the U.S versions that are being sold or have been sold on AT&T and T-Mobile when those will receive the update. Some questions and comments this week. First one, a comment from Curtis. He says, Mickey and Joey, uh, a comment for you here. Just wanted to show you an image. It's a text message. And he says, will you share this on the next, on next week's show? And it says, effective March 1st, your AT&T compatible SIM service will be limited to 1.5 gigabytes of data per, uh, per every 30 days. Visit net10data.com to learn more. So what he's, do, what he's got here is he's got um, what appears to be an iPhone that he's running on Net10. 
And uh, that Net 10 SIM card has basically told him now uh, that the service is limited on the data side down to 1.5 gigabytes of data. Um, you know, I, I don't know a lot about Net 10. I've never uh, I've never used them, but uh, I, I know that you know, like the other MVNOs that are you know tout that they've got unlimited data. Usually, it's unlimited up to a certain point. And in Net 10's case, now it's 1.5 gigs. Yeah, a 1.5 is unlimited. Yeah, those are the exact same thing, aren't they? I mean, boy, that, that they're almost the same. <laughs> Obviously. As we've talked about many times over that, you know, two gigs is usually more than plenty for most people. I mean, right now, I think I've been running, you know, five, six hundred megabytes per month. So, yeah, that's unlimited to me. But uh, that's kind of frustrating when you're, you know, you're expecting something more and you get limited to 1.5. I mean, at least uh, I see on their homepage right now, they've got, you know, front and center saying we've changed our plan to no longer unlimited. It's 1.5. So that is good. They're at least not calling it unlimited still, even though you've got an unlimited. So I, I guess that is a, a positive aspect that they're trying to be upfront about the switch. Well, I think that, you know, 1.5 in, in many cases is, is okay. Um, you know, like you, I use uh, between multiple devices, I use less than one gigabyte of data per month. So I'm not overly concerned about that. But if you're someone who is using um, your phone exclusively for data uh, and or you only have a certain amount because of, uh, you know, because you don't have Wi-Fi connection or whatever it is, or you're using it at work on and no Wi-Fi, whatever. You, you you have to keep this kind of stuff in mind. Um, you know, these this is the advantage that the, the the tier one carriers have is that yes, you have these different tiers and you may have to pay more, but at least you have the option. And every ten dollars more that you go, in most cases, doubles your your usage here. So, um, you know, if you start you know using more than than what you think you thought you were going to, you can easily upgrade and there's no problem there. Uh, you don't have that option here with these MVNOs. It's just the, this is what you get and and that's it. So. A lot of stuff you got to consider if you're going to be using one of those. But uh, Curtis, appreciate uh, you passing that on here so that we could uh, pass it on in the show. Next one is a question from Dominic. He says, Mickey, I've got a question. Uh, I'm looking to switch to GoSmart Mobile. And my question is, why is GoSmart's coverage map different than T-Mobile's? Is it because GoSmart is 2G, 3G service as opposed to only as a, only as opposed to their 4G that T-Mobile has? Um, well, Dominic, really the answer here uh, is roaming. T-Mobile shows areas uh, on their site where customers can roam. GoSmart uh, only shows areas with T-Mobile's network. Uh, and of course, pair that with the you know conversation we had earlier that if you are on the T-Mobile network and you're using GoSmart, just keep in mind that your data speeds could be throttled if you're in an area where there's a lot of people that are using it. And uh, so that that's why though, is it's just because T-Mobile shows wherever you can use the phone in the country versus just the T-Mobile network and where that network is actually deployed. Next one here is a question from Wallace, and he says, I use Dogcatcher as my primary podcast application and downloader on my Samsung Galaxy S3 and Note 2. When I take a downloaded item and move it from my SD card or to my SD card, it will sometimes pull a photo gallery to replace the album art associated with the podcast and the photo. I have no idea why. I was also curious to hear you two speculate on premium games and apps on different platforms. Is There's still a gap between Android and Apple. Apple gets first and usually more uh, current games. I'm looking at the FIFA games as an example. Apple has 2013. Android has 2012. What type of return are the top tier developers looking for? And should Google sweeten the pot with the level of uh, the, to level the playing field? Thanks as always. You're the best in the business. Um, Wallace. Yeah, it seems that uh, those games are just, uh, it, I think it's just the, the, the revenue that they pull in from Apple and the, the, the amount of people that have it, I think, that, that are into gaming. And I think the, the consistent user experience, because they're only developing for, well, now just a couple of screen sizes that uh, iOS has for the, 
you know, the iPhone 4 and the iPhone 5 and then the tablet. We've got the, the, the Retina and the non-Retina iPads, and that's it. So it's a lot easier, I think, and that's, I think that's why, because it, it, it's just faster and easier to get those games out quicker to the iOS platform. Yeah, the, the, I think they're probably right. You know, um, you know, it's also probably on the revenue. Um, you know, I think they're Apple is uh, the, the developers that are making Apple apps are, are making more money. Um, and uh, yeah, you know, I, I, going going back to uh, you know to what what kind of is the core of of these operating systems. I think it, it really makes a lot of sense for for Apple uh, and for the developers that are making apps for Apple games sorry for apple devices that they're doing so more than they are for the android side because i I feel like those that are are buying apple devices that is actually a bigger part of what they're using the devices for i'm not saying that's always the case but i'm saying just in general i think that's a that's a fair statement yeah i think so too and i think that the performance is more consistent too because of the 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 vast amount of different hardware for android and i think it probably becomes frustrating because there's not you know other than some of the the the, you know the galaxy s2 s3s that are out right now there's not a you know there's not one big primary android phone uh that that you can really target for applications i mean i I remember when the netflix app first got released for android it was only available for like three different phones and it's kind of that same that same concept so i I think it's kind of a whole combination of factors i i you know i I think i think you're probably right i want to go back to the first question that he had here and this is on the photo um you know the photo issue when he's moving uh, a podcast from a downloaded item over to um, his SD card, or I guess from the, the the primary storage on the device is what he's talking about doing here. Um, I'm not sure how Dogcatcher is storing things, but they're probably uh, pulling out uh, the the album art at some point and, and not storing that with it. Um, you know, when we and when I embed the the image in the show each week, it's in the actual file itself. So something is happening there on the app side where it's it's. It's not le- le- letting that image stay with the file, and so it's it's probably some sort of separate database that they're storing all this album art in. Um, as to why it's pulling a you know a photo from somewhere else, I that's weird. Uh, if you know if it's pulling like a you know a picture of your dog or something every time that the cell phone junkie plays, if that's what's happening, I mean that's quite odd. Uh, so obviously some sort of um, you know translation issue there. I don't know, Joey, if you get anything else on that. I have no idea. Yeah, it's probably that. It's just something to do with the way they they keep track of the the image files. Yeah, it's 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 a really weird one, but uh, you know, I I'm guessing you're probably downloading a lot, and uh, you know that's why you're you're moving them over so that you're not taking up all the space. But um, you know, certainly it's it's also easy enough to just download and listen and delete, and and that's kind of how my uh, you know has been <clears throat> my my route here of doing this, and I've never had an issue with storage. But uh, you know, if you've got you know a couple of dozen or something podcasts, I can see where you'd want to do that. But anyway, yeah, that's kind of a weird one. Next one's a comment from Brian. He says, guys, I wrote in last week about a broken Nexus screen. Well, I ordered one and it got uh, at the home toolkit and got the home toolkit from iFixit. It took me about an hour to get it apart and then 15 minutes to put it back together. It made my inner geek feel accomplished. Thanks for the advice. Love the show. It's the highlight of my Sunday. Thanks again, Brian. Excellent. That is awesome. You were able to replace that yourself. That is really cool because they're small and tricky, but they're not that bad. I mean, I've taken a bunch of Blackberries apart, but I know these, uh, you know, the Androids are much tighter fit. So that's that's really cool. I personally have never taken apart a device like that and had to do any switching out. So uh, that just scares the heck out of me. I know I I would imagine losing screws and putting things back wrong and missing a connection and it would just be a mess and I'd eventually just go buy a new phone. 
<laughs> no, it's a it's a great way to save money because you, obviously you save a lot of labor uh, doing it yourself. So it's cool. And it, you know, taking the the Palm Pre apart is really because I did that a bunch of times to uh, change the board to do the 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 Franken Pre on it to put it on Sprint. So that's got the little teeny screws and all the parts pop apart. So it's real inter- it's real interesting to see the insides. Well, I, I'm 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 really glad. I think Brian, you know, bottom line, I'm really glad you were able to get this done. And I think that you know, purchasing it, it and doing it yourself is a good way to go. And especially on a brand new device, like you said, with your four and it, oh, it just fell off the counter. Um, it's it's really a bummer. So awesome, glad you were able to get it fixed. Finally, today is a question from Tim. He says, Mickey and Joey, I have the I have had AT and T UVerse TV for six months now, but my promotional price has just expired. I was able to get a great price by adding on their internet. The router was already here, so I added it for a better price. <laughs> Currently, I have Verizon as my wireless provider. I still have uh, unlimited LTE. I bought the Note 2 at full price to keep the unlimited. However, I just know that Verizon will at some point stop allowing that. I've contemplated switching to AT&T for a while. They have great coverage here in Arkansas, just as Verizon does. But I'm also very nervous about letting my unlimited LTE go. Uh, but now that I have home Wi-Fi, I'm attracted to AT&T for a few reasons. First, the vis- versatility of phones, and they generally control them less than Verizon. I love Nexus phones, and Verizon will probably never get another one, and, uh, and there's, there's probably no chance of that. Uh, now, here's my question. Will the versatility of unlocked phones on AT&T change when GSM is completely gone and when they just use LTE? My contract with Verizon, of course, is up, but I have the Wi-Fi at home. I'm at a crossroads. I'd love to hear your take on this. Oh, and one more question. The Uverse router is defaulted to 400 milliwatt uh, out for the output. Uh, I don't feel I need that much for my apartment, and I want uh, don't want to be blasted with any more radiation than possible, so I turned it down to the 25 milliwatts. Uh, is there, there isn't there isn't a change in speed or latency. Uh, is there a downside to operating at a 25 milliwatts? No, actually, I don't think so. And in fact, you can get higher speeds when you have the power down. So um, it, 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 it's kind of an inverse relation to the more you've got, the more it kind of saturates and, and overwhelms at some point. So no, as long as you've got perfect coverage, that's better because then you won't have people further away from you trying to hack into your network and break in. So it's it's technically kind of, kind of more secure when you've got the power down like that because the range is not as far so i think that's a uh, pretty good uh, pretty pretty safe there and as long as it's holding holding fine for you that's uh, it, that'll be just fine uh, you know the only thing i would say with that is you know you're you're probably going to see some um, higher latencies if you get into other rooms that are outside of the router um, just because the power is less and it's going to it's going to be you know the, the signal's going to be lower um, and obviously the speed will be reduced then as well but if it's not something that you're worried about then then certainly then fine just leave it yeah, and uh, you know, four hundred is uh, you know for for home Wi-Fi that is that's actually quite a bit of uh, quite a bit of power for that. So yeah, it, it it's fine. Okay, so let's go back to the first part here. Um, you know, on the HSPA decision on the Nexus line, um, you know, I think that's going to stay for the next year or two. Uh, it's more than just a, a situation here in the U.S. Think about the rest of the world. You know, still using HSPA networks as their primary networks. LTE, though, is uh, quickly catching on. I would imagine that the vast majority of networks will be substantially built out within the next two years. Um, The other consideration is that LTE networks today are spread across uh, all these different portions of spectrum, as we talked about with the the new Qualcomm chips that are coming out. Uh, Further, though, even uh, the the networks that are on adjacent bands may not have, um, you know, be able to run um, on the, you know, a chipset that's supporting a band that's right next to it. Um, And I I think this is is something that will, as we talked about with the Qualcomm story, it will be a, a step in the right direction here and and eventually we'll, we, we will see devices that will be able to just swap out sims um i don't see the un, the locking of a sim going away anytime soon 
I think is uh, uh, the SIM slot that is, I think as long as you are buying a phone from a carrier that and they are subsidizing it, they are going to feel and have the right to lock that phone. Um, you know, I like the ability to be able to buy it unlocked um, if you pay full price for it, and then you can take it to wherever you want. I think that's a great thing. But uh, if you're signing a contract, expect it to be locked, and uh, maybe, maybe we'll be able to take it somewhere else. Yeah, if you stay away from LTE, you'll be bet. Yeah, you know, you won't have so many issues um, on the device. But yeah, the, 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 if you if you're going to be having LTE in your AT and T phones, you're going to be limited to the carrier released phones, which you're going to have the same basically the same issue you're having with Verizon as far as the devices go. So, you know, it's a really tough call, and there's no real clear winner here uh, in my mind on what what is the best route to do you have to kind of take uh your argument kind of the the the, the, the way verizon handles things and, and just kind of weigh the price weigh the you know the coverage and just kind of make your decision because there's no, there's to me i don't see a clear oh this is the absolute way to go you know at&t so much better because you've got that flexibility with sim cards and uh to be able to move it between devices because you know as you know if you try to change it to a different style device they they change your plan immediately when you stick the sim card in because you don't have this or you know it, it, there's hassles that kind of come along with some of it too. I'm uh, I'm just happy that you know for the most part we are seeing LTE getting built out um, by all the major networks that are out there, and you know that's a, that's a big deal. And you know the efficiency that you get with it, uh, obviously the speed and the latency improvements are just fantastic. Anyone that has LTE on their device and travels, uh, you know, or, or spends any amount of time on it knows exactly what I'm talking about. You just you don't even think about it anymore. It's it's absolutely fantastic. I love it, uh, and I I can't wait to have even more devices out there that have LTE built into them. Well, if you have any questions or contact uh, questions or comments for us, excuse me, you can contact us by sending us email to questions at the cell phone junkie.com or giving us a call to 206-203-3734. We'd love to hear from you, whatever you have to say uh, or whatever questions you have. We'll talk about them on a future show. Joey, thank you very much as always for your time. We'll talk to you later. Thanks for listening. For more information about the stories you've just heard, visit us at thecellphonejunkie.com.